Moncrief on News Talk. Now, over the weekend, animal rights activists attempted to disrupt the Aintree Grand National, their argument being that the sport is essentially cruel. Much like with greyhound racing and hare coursing, they're attempting to alter the public perception of horse racing. In response to that, uh, just a few days ago, a group called Stand Up for Racing formed to try and put the counter view. We're joined by the racing journalist Richard Hollis. Good afternoon, Richard. Good afternoon, Sean. How are you? Uh, so, w- was the industry taken by surprise by this? Um, maybe the original headline when, you know, about a few days beforehand, uh, I think it was the Daily Mail said that, you know, that the Mail on Sunday saying that they'd uncovered an undercover operation to disrupt racing. I think in the past, the National has always been a focal point for groups that wish to make a point. We've had Animal Aid and PETA before, um, mainly because of its popularity and high profile. Um, and that's obviously what they targeted this time around. It did obviously go to far greater extremes with an actual attempt to disrupt the race with a significant number of people involved and a significant number of people arrested. Um, It also occurred at a particularly inopportune moment, really, particularly for a a group that claimed to have welfare at its heart, just when the horses were in the paddock and if you were on the countdown to the race itself. But um, peaceful protest is absolutely fine, but that level of disruption I don't think anyone would have have countenanced because of some of the potential impacts that it uh, could and did have. Does the industry have a problem, do you think, Richard, that, that there is a perception that it is cruel? I think the more so in this country, Sean, maybe than, than over in Ireland, uh, the, the point I'd like to make is is really that the horse doesn't come into people's lives the same way that it would have done 50 or 70 years ago when, you know, horses were used to pull plows, they were transport. People were used to having them around the place as, as animals that had a specific purpose, particularly in urban areas now in the UK. We don't see anything like the number of horses that you would do moving around in Ireland. And as a result, there was some research carried out that suggested 35% of those less than under 10 in urban areas had never actually even seen a racehorse or a horse of any description. And the issue with that is that they become perceived as pets in those people's eyes because it's only the docile ones in riding schools that they actually see. I think the fact that the racehorse is bred to race has a purpose uh, is something that racing needs to be a lot more proactive with in encouraging people to understand what goes on within a racing yard. Mm. And and what goes on within a racing yard? Because even here in Ireland, there'll be plenty of people listening who know next to nothing about horse racing, uh, who, who it, might think it's just using animals for our entertainment. Yes, and that's the thing that's, that's levelled. I mean, using the numbers from the UK, it, it's a £4 billion industry. But when you use industry, it sounds really cold. It provides 6,500 jobs for 14,000 horses that are in training. And for many people who might find sort of the pressure of a working environment in an office, it actually provides a really wonderful employment and the chance to build a bond with a specific racehorse. The point I would make about it being just purely for people's entertainment is that these horses are equine athletes. This is what they were bred to do. Um, If we went around sort of, you know, killing our raw material in great numbers, it wouldn't just function. Um, It is very unfortunate that that the nature of horses recovering from injuries means that you would never be able to eliminate risk from the race course. But even at current levels, it's 0.2% fatalities. Now, that would still be, but I'd love that to be lower. It was 0.3% about 10 years ago, but some of the welfare efforts have actually reduced it by a third. That's 99.8% for which it's they come back fine from 90,000 runs. So it's a big industry, but it's also 
a perfect opportunity to celebrate the relationship between the human and the horse. And even if you haven't actually been to a racing yard, many will have seen horses in action, you know, um, and they are beautiful, beautiful creatures. And it is a shame that a lot of the objectives of some of those animal rights organisations, particularly the one this time around, would actually result in far greater hardship and welfare issues um, than currently occur by the small number that unfortunately do meet their end. And we're not shying away from that. Mm. It does need to be put in some context. Are, th- are there figures about how many horses get injured every year? In terms of leaving the industry, you could expect a churn rate um, of round about 20 to 25%, but that is often because horses just reach the end of their racing lives, if you like. Um, in terms of um, fatalities on the race course, it's just over 200. It would I wouldn't wish to um, quote figures that I didn't back up, mm. but there would be a greater number that, that ended their racing days through injury, um, and rehoming racehorses can be quite challenging. Um, but nonetheless, um, the quantity of horses that go through seasons with no issues at all is still quite high. The mm. only issue is you've ever seen a racehorse um, is it is amazing their sort of physiology and how particularly jumping wise they land with great force on very fragile tendons. And so unfortunately, injuries do occur. But those are injuries that end their racing careers rather than than in their lives. Yeah. So so when a horse reaches its, the end of its racing career, typically what happens to them? It's a great challenge, to be honest, Sean, to find homes that are adequate um, to rehome these racehorses. It's something that through the retraining of racehorses in this country, we've become a lot better at acting almost like a dating agency, to be honest, of matching horses with specific requirements um, to owners that are capable of looking after them. Because it is quite a difficult transition from the routine of a racing yard into, you know, what many would appear to be domestic bliss. Some of them obviously stay within the racing yards. They might lead young horses. Many of those people who own horses have access to retirement um, facilities just in terms of paddocks for them to live out their days. One of the challenges racing faces is those horses that go to homes that aren't suitable because that is when potentially um, they end up uh, at abattoirs quite often after passing through two or three hands um, and so they are ex-race horses that end up there, not directly with those that race them, but because, unfortunately, the homes that they went to weren't suitable for their mm. needs. Um, that's been addressed in the last couple of years by the microchipping of horses, um, but it's still in its infancy. 2020 was when it came in. The idea being you can trace horse from um, cradle to grave, if you like, and hence you've got a trail that would lead back to any areas where they were constantly passing through people's hands and ending up in abattoirs. It is a challenge because racehorses do not automatically make great pets. And again, that's something that I think a lot of the animal rights organisations don't really recognise when they believe you just open the doors, let them run free, and that would be the life that they would choose to have. Whereas in actual fact, um, that would lead to far more welfare issues than we currently have within racing. But, but I take from what you're saying there, Richard, that, that a percentage of them probably do end up in abattoir because there's nowhere else to send them. Uh, yes, absolutely. Because it, particularly after the sort of, you know, second or third hand, um, you know, when someone's struggling to make ends meet or to keep them, they they do get passed on. You may remember there was a television programme relatively recently which um, identified this. And if we didn't feel that was an issue, then you know, we wouldn't have been introducing the microchipping and the passports. It's very difficult when you get the sort of chain of events that moves it further and further away from the regulator. It's quite easy to, um, you know, prevent any trainers or owners passing them straight on to any abattoirs. But if it, if you genuinely think that you're giving it to a good home and then two years later, 
whatever reason that horse gets passed on again, then the original link between, you know, trainer and owner and the horse's end is more tenuous. Um, but it is something that the, the industry are keen to try to address because exactly as you say, you, you know, um, whilst it might be, even in some instances, the, the kindest thing to do if they are particularly difficult and will never be able to be rehabilitated, that's a very you know small number. Finding the right home for horses is a challenge and one we wouldn't shy away from. Yeah. At, at, at the other end of the uh, of the process, as in by which I mean breeding thoroughbred uh, racehorses, what happens to racehorses that, you know, don't come up to scratch? Again, they'd exit the industry earlier. And, you know, in terms of whether they're three or four year old career, it's a lot easier at that stage to potentially find them. You know, you'll you'll get a, a large number of, of show horses, a large number of young eventers or team chasers, etc., um, who, you know, they're capable of adapting from a younger age. And um, I think the one thing that people from the outside tend to think that it is a sort of, you know, money driven Uh, industry in the sense a lot of the criticism often stems from you know you're running around the field for entertainment and um, financial gain and once that's exhausted then they're of no further interest I think that significantly underplays the relationship a between the owner the trainer the groom um, and the horse Mm. and also just the financial return over here in the UK you you only get 20 pence in the pound return and so why would you do it? Well, the reason you tend to do it is because, you know, you love going there to gallops in the morning. You're a responsible owner. You love your horse. You have a bond with your horse. And hence, you will look after it until the day it dies in some shape or form of capacity. So sure. um, I do think it's an industry. It's important for the industry to be transparent and open about where um, horses go post-racing, how they're treated within uh, racing yards, because as with all things, there are some that are better than others. But I do feel it's very important to stress the positives as well as um, being open about where we have outcomes like we did at the National on Saturday, which would, were very distressing always round. Yeah, indeed. Are there regulations about what drugs horses can be given or not given? Yeah, particularly in, in this country. I think it would be fair to say that in America, it's a little bit behind in the sense that, you know, they still have issues from state to state about which drugs you can use. But here, um, the testing is very good. Mm. Uh, I, I undoubtedly believe, and I'm sure we would be completely naive not to think otherwise, that it takes a while on some instances for um, testing procedures to catch up with certain um, substances. And every now and again, you will get a breaking news story or two in the belief that they are being used and aren't yet capable of being identified. You've probably had slightly more of an issue with that um, in Ireland than we have had over here. But in terms of widespread use, the ban of steroids at any stage of horses' lives, because it's not just good enough to suggest that they work out of a horse's system before they race, there are some medications which are definitely used the same way you and I would use um, you know, um, some sort of tablets um, to help us with health issues, but they must be out of the system by the time they race. So they're not enhancing in that sense, but they undoubtedly do help the horse uh, with the aches and pains that we all tend to get at various stages of our lives. Yes, yes. And 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 the, the regulations as regards the use of the whip and tongue ties in horses, because I, I, I was just reading before I came on air, and, you know, there's certainly a, a body of opinion that would regard that as cruel in any circumstances. Yeah, it's still, well, the tongue ties are probably easier to, to deal with because basically the, all a tongue tie does, and it... it, it it's a, it's a bit of a shame we haven't got a sort of more sophisticated nature because quite often it's just a bit of bit of bit of tights. Mm. But basically, it holds the horse's tongue down in its mouth. Now that might sound cruel in some ways, but it's actually not because 
Um, horses, when they breathe, sometimes if they get the tongue over the bit, which is basically what the reins attached to in the horse's mouth, if they get the tongue over that. It can curl back into its uh, throat and impact its breathing. So if you like, that's just a, a precautionary measure, particularly for horses that play with the bit with their tongue just to keep it down during the race so they can get the maximum amount of oxygen in. So I think that's one's quite easy to deal with in the sense that it is an aid to both horse and its performance. The whip, of course, is a far greater issue. And you'll be well aware that um, we have um, had all sorts of permutations of reduction in the strikes of the whip, particularly in this country in the last uh, six months, where there's been a major whip review. Some of the original um, requirements of that have been changed, riders saying that, you know, it's not practical to use the whips in certain editions. The whip is very difficult, I think, Sean, because if you like, it becomes a generational thing. The whip itself is possibly slightly misnamed now in the sense that it is an air cushioned um, implement, which basically in a thoroughbred at full speed acts as a trigger rather than motivating them through pain. And anyone who wishes to go and inspect a whip would find it pretty difficult not to come up as long as it's hit in the right place without assumption of a thoroughbred with a thick skin. After all, they brush through birch fences with no, no issue. However, there is definitely a perception issue which racing needs to be aware of. My kids grow up seeing nothing hit. You know, in my day, and I probably give you a few years, Sean, but you may still remember it. You know, um, punishment by a clip round the ear or um, a, a bit with a slipper at school was part of your, I say, daily life. I wasn't that badly behaved, but you know, it was something that was well aware and mm. um, was even part of sort of parental care. Now it's not. No one is allowed to strike um, anyone under any circumstances, and that's something that racing is continuing to go into struggle struggle with the perception issue, whether you can educate enough people that it doesn't hurt and hence it's a trigger moment or whether or not down the line you will have to dispense with the whip because it's just seen as unacceptable to see a horse being hit even though it doesn't hurt um, remains to be seen. But yes, that's a far more contentious issue. At the moment, we're going down one step at a time, seven strikes to six strikes to five strikes. But if it doesn't hurt, why is there any limit at all? It doesn't really always bear logic. Richard, thanks a million for speaking with us today. That was uh, uh, the racing journalist Richard uh, Hoyles there. A few comments on uh, what we've just been talking about there. Uh, where do these athletes go once they retire? Somebody wants to know. Well, as you heard, there there are challenges uh, in, in uh, rehoming racehorses. Uh, somebody else says reho- uh, rehousing a racehorse is challenging. Is that a euphemism for sending them to the glue factory? Uh, in some instances, it seems, I don't know if they send horses to glue factories anymore, but certainly it, in some instances, at least, it does seem to be uh, the option is to send them to an abattoir. Racehorses are bred to race, but that does not mean that humans should be breeding them, says this text. Or breeding should end and racehorses should cease to exist. It's just a hobby that the upper classes use to set themselves apart from the peasants. Well, I think that's possibly what was the case uh, back in the day. Now it's a, a an, an enormous international industry uh, and uh, it's an enormous industry in this country too. Here in Ireland, we have wonderful rehoming and retraining organisations uh, for racehorse, uh, racehorses, including Troella, uh, the Irish Horse Welfare Trust, the Irish Thoroughbred Agency, uh, etc. Another texter says the horses have no choice uh, what they are bred for. Maybe they don't want to be bred for racing. The breeding of dogs is controlled through neutering. Uh, because there are too many, they struggle to find homes for the horses after they finish. Stop breeding them. Well, indeed, in the... In the case of uh, uh, dogs, too, I mean, there are many breeds of dogs where actually what they've produced, they produce a dog that's cute but fits in your handbag. 
And it's absolutely cruel. Uh, th- those dogs often have a, a very miserable life. And uh, finally, Texas says, is that guy saying they've only been microchipping horses since 2020? It's been done for 20 odd years here. So, uh, as ever, uh, we're better over here. Moncrief, weekdays at 2 p.m. on News Talk.